So we, we uh, you know, you get into habits and you do these things when you're worshiping together. And one of the things that I always do with my, my um, congregation is, is uh, I say it's a great day to be a follower of Jesus. And I, I believe that from the bottom of my heart. So we've done it so many times when I say it's a great day, they say to be a follower of Jesus. And so I just want to do that with you one time. It's a great day to... Do you believe that or do you not believe that? It is, no matter what's going on. Uh, this morning I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about um, our identity, who we are in Christ. Who does Jesus say I am? And, and here's where this came from. We, uh, you know, the Bible says um, in John chapter 10 that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But then Jesus says, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. And so the thing is, I read that. I read that in scripture and I say, what in the world is going on? Because there are so many believers, so many people like myself who aren't experiencing abundant life. And I wonder why. What's the reason behind that? And so what happened was at Riverview, we, we started this series on identity and, it, and it, I planned to do a, f- a four-week series on identity, and 10 weeks later, we were still talking about it. So successfully, I stretched a four-week series into 10, and the truth is we could have kept going and going, because once we dug into it, I began to understand just how, how deep it impacts us if we don't know who we are in Jesus. If we don't know who we truly are, then, then we just get hijacked and our identity gets stolen, and we don't experience this life that Jesus has promised us, really. So... Um, so here's the thing. I want to kind of dive in, and I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Um, before, you know, I spent 10 years in the military, and then before God called me in the ministry, uh, I, w- I ran my own business, and I was a, a farrier. Now, if you don't know what that is, I, I was a horse shoer, and I have to enunciate that because people say, ah, you're shooting horses. No, I didn't shoot horses. I put shoes on horses' feet. That's what I did for 10 years. And so, so uh, you know, you'd come home every day, and every day I'd come home and I'd just be stinking, and my wife would be like, you stink. I'm like, honey, I know I stink. You don't have to say it every single day for 10 years now. I know, I stink. So I came home, one, it was one spring day early, uh, you know, it was late at night, actually. It was like 8.30 or 9 o'clock, come in from work, walk in the front door. My wife says, you stink, and I say, it's the smell of money, babe, you know. And she's like, I don't care what it's the smell of, get it off. So I, I go jump in the shower. And when I get out of the shower, I come out, and she's standing at the bottom of her stairs. We, we lived in a, a split level at the time. And uh, she's standing at the bottom of the stairs looking out the front door, and she says, did you leave the light on in your truck? And I said, no, I don't think so. And she said, well, it's on now. And so I said, okay, I'll go shut it off. So I go out the front door, and as I'm coming down the steps to my truck, I'm coming up to the passenger side of my truck, and there's glass all over the ground. Now, I've been home 15 minutes, right? There's glass all over the ground. There's glass all up in the passenger seat. The console's open. Stuff's everywhere. And I just turn around. I say, get my gun, right? And she's like, what? And I said, get my gun. Somebody broke in my truck. And she's like, I'm not getting your gun. And I'm like, do something. You know, I don't know what to do about this. And so I'm looking around. I said, go call 911. And she starts laughing, right? Now, I can't understand why she's laughing at my misery right now because there's glass everywhere. Someone, I feel violated, you know, that sort of thing. And so she says, hey, what is today? And I said, oh, it was April 1st, right? Got me. So she didn't actually break my window. What she did was she took a a jar and broke a jar and rolled my passenger window down, (laughs) and then she she sprinkled glass all over the place and led me to believe that someone had broken into my truck. Now... It really is not that funny. Uh, here, here's the point. Here's the point of this story. A, a lie that I believe to be true, it impacts me as if it were true, right? 
a lie that you believe, a lie that I believe to be true, it impacts me as if it were true. I believe that lie that my wife, all my wife's deceitfulness, I believed it, and it impacted me as if it was true. Now, as it relates to life, as it relates to what we're talking about today, one of the things that, that absolutely breaks my heart as a pastor, uh, as a dad, is when I see people make decisions, when I see them make choices that end up robbing them of peace, that end up stealing joy from them, that end up, um, you know, they make decisions that rob them of their future. They, they make decisions that destroy their life. And so the question is why? Because there's enough unavoidable pain that you and I will experience in this life. There's enough unavoidable pain and hurt in this life without you and I making uh, choices that create unnecessary pain for ourselves. Would you agree with that or not? That you and I, we experience enough unavoidable pain. Jesus said it, so I know that it's true. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he comes behind that and he says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So, so the thing is, with all of this unavoidable pain in, in our life, why would we ever choose to bring more pain upon ourselves? Well, I would say this, it's not intentional. I don't think anybody, for the most part, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I can't wait to get up and, and go about my day so I can hurt myself. So I can make choices that are going to hurt my spouse, so that I can make choices that are going to hurt my kids. I can't wait to do that, it's going to be a great day. Nobody does that, right? We, we just unavoidable, I mean, we, we uh, unintentionally make these choices, and I would say it's, it's because we're believing lies. These lies that we're believing to be true, they're impacting us as if they were true. And so what I want to do is I want to just stop and I want to I take a look at, at who God says we are, at, at who God says we are. That if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, and, and these things are always, always, always true about you, whether you believe them or not. And I think the key for you and, I, you and I to experience in this abundant life is to begin to walk in this identity that Jesus says, this is who you are. Because until we believe that, we're going to continue to settle. We're going to continue to, to allow our identity to be hijacked. We're going to continue to believe lies and bring unnecessary pain upon ourselves. So 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. 1 Peter 2 uh, verses 9 and 10. Uh, I would love it if you had your own Bible to track along with us. If not, the words are going to be up on the screen. But here's what I want you to understand. In these verses, just these two verses, there, there's four things, four identity markers, we're going to call them, that are contained in these verses that you and I need to grab a hold of if we're going to live this life that God, that God really promises us. If we're going to live this abundant life, there's four things, uh, four identity markers that we need to grab a hold of. This is Peter writing to God's people. Here's what he says. He says, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the, the thing is, what I like to do sometimes is I like to put, put myself in here. And, and instead of saying you are, I, I want to replace it with I. And I want you to be thinking about that as we read through here. But I am a chosen person, right? I'm a chosen person. I, I'm a royal priest. I, I'm a holy nation. God's special possessions that I may declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once I was not a person, but now I am a child of God. Once I had not received mercy, but now I have received mercy. And so the first thing that's true about us, this first identity marker, is that we're chosen people. I'm a chosen person. You're a chosen person if you've surrendered your life to Christ, right? In other words, you are accepted by God. I'm accepted by God. Why is this important? Because deep down inside all of us, we have this desire to be accepted. I want you to accept me. And so we put on masks, and, and I, I'm going to you know, pretend, because if you knew everything about me, 
then you may not like me. And, and we, we preach against that, don't we? We talk about authenticity. It's one of our core values. So we have this deep desire to be accepted. And, and I think most of us, at least to some extent, we spend our entire lives trying to earn acceptance. We spend our entire lives really uh, living in a world dictated by Facebook likes, dictated by retweets. What do other people think about me? We want to be accepted. And the thing about this desire for us to be accepted inside of us is it's so strong that it trumps or it overrules almost any other desire that we have. You know, as a, as a kid, I think about all the things that people would, would dare me to do. You know, I want to be a safe kid. I don't want to get hurt. But then when they, they dare me to jump off the St. John's River Bridge, I grew up in Florida. People had died jumping off this bridge. My desire to be accepted was so strong that it overruled my desire for safety, and I jumped off the St. John's River Bridge, right? Our desire for acceptance is so strong that it will overrule or it will trump almost any other desire that we have. It, it can overrule or trump our desire for morality and character, right? I, I really don't want to drink this. I don't want to smoke this. I don't want to date him. I don't want to sleep with him. I don't want to marry him or her, but if I don't, I'm afraid people will reject me. And so I'm going to compromise my values. I'm going to compromise my morality because I want people to accept me. So it's important for us to understand that you and I have been accepted. We've been accepted by God. And so we don't have to play into somebody, you know, what do you think about me? What do you, I got an audience of one. He says, he says, you're my child, and because of that, I've accepted you. If you have a relationship with me, you're accepted just as you are. And I think that's important for us to grasp. That's the first identity marker, that you and I are accepted by God. The second thing is this. This is the second thing that's always true about us, is that you and I are priests, a royal priesthood. Now, what in the world does that mean for us, right? You say, well, you're a preacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. Well, that's not what the text says. The text says that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, then you are a priest, right? So what does that, that mean for us to be a priest? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. Here's what it doesn't mean. Being a priest doesn't mean that I got to be God's defense attorney, right? God doesn't need me to be his defense attorney. Being a priest doesn't mean that I'm his prosecutor, right? It doesn't mean that I'm his salesman. We don't need to be salesmen for God, right? It doesn't mean any of that. So what does it mean? Well, very simply, it means to be a witness. What does a priest do? A priest represents God the man and man the God. If you look at the Old Testament and what the priest did, he, he brought God the man and brought man to God. I, I serve as a chaplain in the Army National Guard, and, and I love it because they say, chaplain, here's what we want you to do. We want you to bring God to soldiers and soldiers to God. Now, that's our role as a priest. It means you and I being a, a witness. And if you grew up in church, then that word witness, it has all sorts of connotations that come behind that. What I want you to understand is when I'm talking about this, this word being a witness, it's just this. If you got called to be a witness in a case, what are you doing? I'm just talking about what I saw, what I experienced, the things that I heard. And that's what I think it means for you and I to be a witness for Jesus. I'm just going to tell you my story. That's what I'm, these are the things that happened to me. This is who I was. This is what happened to me. These are the things that I've experienced. And there's no better person that can tell your story. Nobody's an expert at your story but you. Nobody can be a witness of your life as good as you can. It's, it's the man born blind from John 9. I don't know any of the questions you're asking me. What I do know is once I was blind, now I can see. That's it. Being a witness. So you and I are accepted by God, and you and I are priests now. And the third thing that he says here is he says that we are God's special possession. Now, what that means is this, that you and I are valued by God. You and I are valued by God, and we're valuable to God. So often we don't feel like that. We feel like when we blow it, i got to run away, i got to clean myself up. And when I get myself cleaned up, then I can come back. And God says, no, you're valuable to me. 
the illustration that I use with, with our church as we were walking through this is this. Really, in, in this life, as we start talking about what is value, what, what, what are the things that we use to determine value, I think there's two things. It's the price that, that someone is willing to pay for an item, right? That's, that determines value. And then um, who owns the item? So I, I, for a season, you're probably not going to think this is funny, and I don't even know why I'm laughing, but for a season, I drove a 95 Lincoln Town Car, right? And... and uh, so I pulled up to a stoplight one time, and there's an old man sitting next to me, like 97 years old or something, and he's got the big sunglasses that go over the top, and he's revving his engine up, and he's got the same car that I do, a 95 Lincoln Town Car, right? And I look over, and I'm like, did I just get challenged by an old man to race in this town car, you know? So there's no pride when you're driving a 95 Lincoln Town Car. So when I go to sell this 95 Lincoln Town Car, I didn't get a whole lot of money for it. But here's the question I have for you. If Tom Osborne owned this 95 Lincoln Town Car, is he going to bring a little more money from, from it than I am? You better believe it, right? So, so who owns the item and, and the price that someone's willing to pay for it? You know, we all think, oh, my house is worth this. You know what your house is worth? What someone's willing to pay for it and not a penny more. So in this life, there's two things that determine value. It's the price paid for an item and who owns the item, those two things. Now, what, what I want you to understand is this. There's nobody that values you more than God. There is nobody that values you more than God. There's nobody willing to pay the price that he was willing to pay for you, okay? There's nobody willing to pay that. Jesus giving his life for your life was the greatest price that anyone could ever pay for you. And the very moment, the very moment that you received him as your savior, then you became his possession, you became his child, therefore you are valuable to God. So you're accepted by God, you're acceptable to God, you're a priest, and you're valuable to God. And then the fourth thing is this, that you're loved by God. And that's really where I want to camp out today, because I think this is the foundation of it all, that you and I are loved by God, and this binds them all together. The, the text says this, it says, once you were not a person, but now you're a person of God. You're a child of God, right? In other words, once I didn't have an identity, but now I have an identity. My identity is I'm a child of God. God says, listen, because I love you so much, I want you in my family. I, I, I love you enough. I'm choosing you to be a part of my family. I'm making you part of my family. I love you enough that I'm going to make you my child. Now, that's always true about you if you're in Christ. You are always his child. You are always infinitely loved. You are always eternally loved, unconditionally loved, undeservedly loved by God. That is always true about you. And until you and I can grasp that, not, not here, but I'm saying until we can grasp it and, and it permeates our soul, we're going to continue to settle for counterfeit love. We're going to continue to base our whole relationship with Jesus on a performance-based system. God loves me if I do this or if I don't do that. And, and if I do that and I, and I got to wait enough time or I got to clean myself up, then God's going to love me again. He says, no, listen, I love you. And as long as we're living in this counterfeit, you know, we're going to settle for this. We're, we're never going to understand. We're never going to walk in the freedom that he desires for us. Every single night when I tuck my daughter Claire into bed, we have this routine. My daughter Claire is, is seven, and I've been doing this. We were just talking about this the other night since she was about two years old. We have this routine that we do with her, and, and right, after, right before I, I leave the room, I give her a kiss goodnight, and, I, and this is not original to me, by the way. I saw it in a movie once, and I just made it better than I think it was. So I say, right before I leave the room, I say, you are, and she'll say, special. And I say, Claire Bear, you are, and she'll say, important. And I say, Claire, you are, and she'll say, beautiful inside and out. And I say, I, and she'll say, you love me very much, daddy. And I say, yep, you bet. And I'll say, and my, and she'll say, your heart is overflowing with love for me. 
Every single night we do that. Every single night we do that. It's the same story. Why in the world would I do that? Because my daughter's growing up in a world that wants to hijack her identity. My daughter's growing up in a world that tells her she's only beautiful if she looks this way or if she dresses this way or if she does these certain things, that's the only way that she's going to be loved. And I'm not going to stand for that as her dad, right? As her dad, I want more for her than that. I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure that she doesn't settle for that. I want her to be grounded and rooted in the fact that she's loved, not because of what she does or what she doesn't do, but simply because she's mine. She's my daughter. I want her to understand the depths of my love for her. I want her to be so secure in my love that she's able to spot the lies and say, that's not love. That's not love. You're, you're giving me some conditions. You're trying to make contracts, but that's not love because I know what real love is. My daddy's demonstrated that for me. And I firmly believe that if she can, she can grasp this at a soul level, it's going to change her life. It's going to change the way that she relates with her future husband and, and give her a picture of the way that he should treat her. It's going to change the way that she does relationships. I believe it'll change the way that she feels about herself and the confidence that she has because she knows that she's loved by me unconditionally. Now, here's the question. If this is the desire that I have for my daughter as an imperfect, broken father, how much more do you think our Heavenly Father has in store for her? How much more does our Heavenly Father have in store for you? This, this is what we have to understand. So let me just ask you this, church. Do you believe, do you believe, listen to me now, don't pass over this. Do you believe that God loves you? I'm not asking you if you know it. I'm asking you at, at a core level, at a soul level, with every fiber of your being, do you believe that God loves you? Because that, the, the how you answer that question, it changes the way that you live life. How you answer that question determines whether you settle for counterfeit love. It determines whether you're, you're experiencing the freedom and the abundant life that God desires for you or if you're stuck in this performance-based mentality. Do you believe at a heart level that the God who spoke creation in the being, the God who sent his son to die in your place, in my place, do you believe that he loves you right now, just as you are, not some future version of you, but right now do you believe that God loves you? That's an important question for us. Do you believe that he loves you because you're his son or his daughter? That every day he wants you to understand that you are special to him, that you're important to him, that you're beautiful inside and out, and that his heart is overflowing with love for you. Do you believe that about God? I would say that most of us don't, and me included. Let me, let me say that, because I'm, I'm not talking at you, I'm talking with you. That, that I go through these seasons where I am so secure in his love, and then it's just so easy for me to slip back into this performance-based mentality, trying to earn my way back into to God's good grace, right? And I think most of us don't. I, th I think we know it up here, but at the core of our being, I don't, I don't believe that we truly believe that because we're still trying to earn his love. I see it every day. We're still trying to earn his love, still running from him when we think we're not meeting his standard. We can't fathom that the God of the universe would love us every single moment of every single day. And we, we struggle with understanding the, the sacrificial, the infinite, the unconditional, the huge love that our Heavenly Father has for us. Why? Well, I think because we're believing lies. And these lies that we're believing to be true are impacting us as if they were true. That's what I believe. I, I think there's more reasons than that. I think uh, another reason is because we try and put God's love in, in humanly terms, right, in the terms that we use. And that always, always falls short, right? We don't have the capacity to fully grasp his love for us, at least not on this side of heaven, I would say. Another reason is that, that our human relationships, the culture that we live in, it teaches us to measure love by, by conditions, right? I'll love you if you do this. I'll love you maybe. I'll love you because of this, right? We do, we do family night every Friday night, 
And so I've got three kids, and it rotates. You know, the, the youngest kid gets to pick the meal, the dessert. And one of the things that we do on that night is we say one thing that we love about that kid, you know. And, and it's funny because when it comes to my wife or when it comes to me, mainly my wife, will say the kids will always say, Mom, I love you because you take care of me, right? It's always the condition. It's always the condition. And I would say that's the way that we relate to our Heavenly Father, right? And we think that he relates with us that way. We've been conditioned that way that he loves us because we did this or because we didn't do that. And he says, no, no, my love for you is not measured by ifs or becauses. That's not my love for you. My love for you is I love you unconditionally. I love you, period. As a matter of fact, you can't stop God from loving you. Did you know that? That you can't stop God from loving you. No matter what you do, you can't stop him from loving you. So here's what I want to do. I just want to pinpoint four characteristics, right? Just four characteristics of God's love that I want us to take out of here today, that, that we could walk in this truth. Because the scripture says what? You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if, if we're battling lies, we have to understand truth. So if we can take these four, four characteristics of God's love for us out of here today, that when those things come up in our heart, we say, no, no, that's not true, because here's what's true about God's love for me. And, and until you memorize these, until you begin to walk in these, you're going you're gonna to get stuck in this performance-based mentality. You're going to settle for counterfeit love. And here's the four things that I want you to understand. First is this, that God's love for you and I is unimaginable. Now, sometimes I make words up. I, I grew up in the South, and I just make stuff up. My congregation, they're like, whatever, that's just a Kyleism, you know? That is actually a word. I looked that up. Unimaginable, right? That God's love for us is unimaginable. In other words, his love for you and I is beyond what we can fathom beyond what we can even comprehend in our mind, beyond what we can even dream up. It doesn't make sense to us. Here's what Ephesians 3.17, it says it this way. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. His, his love is so big for us that we can't grasp the fullness of it, but he wants us to. He desires for us to, to be overwhelmed by his love and to walk in that love, but we can't comprehend it. Not long ago I was, I was putting my daughter to, to bed and we did our, our nightly routine. And as I was walking out the door, I said, I said, I love you, baby girl. And she said, I love you too, daddy. And I said, I love you more than you can imagine. And she said, daddy, do you love me more than $130, $4,700? Uh, okay. Now, besides the fact that $130,4700 is not a real number, right? It's huge in her world because that's all that she could imagine in that moment. And, and, and it's as big as she could dream of. And I said, Claiborne, I love you so much more than $130,4700. And when I look back at her, she had the biggest smile on her face. It, it amazed her that my love was bigger than that, that it was greater than something that she thought had so much value to it, right? And when I was walking out of her room, I was just thinking, well, one, that was kind of a cute little interaction, right? But two, I was thinking, her trying to comprehend my love for her is like me trying to comprehend God's love for me. And I, I would use terms like 130, 4,700 because I can't fathom his love. Do you understand the, the depths of love that God has for you? Not just do you understand it, do you, do you grasp it, do you believe it? Because he loves us so much more than we could ever dream of. So one characteristic, his love for us is unimaginable. Second, it's unconditional. How many, how many parents we got here today? Well, that, that's great participation. Let me see that. I'm, I'm going to call you out. How about that? <laughs> okay, how about dads? See, I can speak to dads. I can't really speak to moms because I'm not one, but I'm a dad. 
Dads, I, I don't know about you, but here's what happened to me. When I found out that we, were not, we weren't pregnant, my wife was pregnant, right? I had a part in it. Uh, when I found out that, that we were going to have a, a baby, uh, I was super excited, right? But there's all these questions because I'd never done it before, you know? So it's like, man, what in the world? How's this look? What's this look like? Uh, but there's all these doubts. You know, I'm not ready, and I, I don't, you know, how in the world am I going to parent this kid? And one of the questions that I have is like, how am I going to feed them? You know, kids are expensive. They eat, you know? And, and we found out we were having a boy. But honestly, I can remember this question that I had. I was driving down the road one day, and I actually felt bad about even wondering about this. But I thought, how am I going to love this kid? Like, do I got to grow into the love? I mean, how, how am I going to love this kid that I don't even know? What does this whole thing look like? And then the day came on July 17th, 2003. My son Lane, we got a picture up here. My son Lane, there he is. My son Lane was born. And you know how I knew I loved him? The moment that I saw him, I loved him. He didn't do anything to earn that love. The very moment that I saw him, I loved him. Why? Because he was mine, right? That's how God loves you. He loves you because you're his. So, so that question was answered. I saw him and I loved him because he was mine. Then Chase and Claire, I got two other kids. Chase and Claire, they, they came along, and I think they're going to be up there too. They came along, and it was the same question. Okay, this love that I feel for my firstborn son, am I going to feel the same love? Because I can't imagine loving the second kid the same as the first. I mean, I know it's got to be possible. What does all this look like? And then the third, you know, the third child, you know, you know, I was the third child. So it's like, eh, whatever, you know. We're old pros by the time we get there. But so how am I going to love these children? Well, I love them because they were mine. Uh, you know, they didn't do anything to earn my love. Matter of fact, it wasn't because they were cute, right? People say babies are cute, and, and I, don't, I don't know about all that, you know, because there's the white stuff, and they're all wrinkly and red and all that. My son, Lane, when he was born, my man was so cone-headed, right? And, uh, and here's the thing. Oh, he was so cone-headed that he looked like an alien. I mean, he's my kid. I could say that, right? If you said it, I'd be a little offended. But, but in my ignorance, I, I just got to tell you this. I didn't know that, that babies could come out face down, right? So, so Lane's being born, and I just see this cone head, right? And, and it's like, where's the eyebrows? 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 I don't see any eyes. What's going on, you know? And then, like, any moment, it's going to be like, E.T., you know, that whole deal. Like, what is the deal? And uh, here, here's, here he is up here. That's him, right? Okay, that doesn't even do justice. Do you see the cone head? They tried to put that little hat on him to keep his head warm, and it kept squirting off the top, right? So, man, okay. It, it was terrible. And I was feeling bad about it, you know, because this is my kid. But here's the thing. From the moment, cone head and all, I loved my, my, my kids. I loved them. And, and I didn't love any of them because they were beautiful, right? And they didn't do anything to earn my love. I didn't love them based on the performance. Because uh, think about it. If you're a parent, you've got to understand this. If your love for your kids is based on performance, the first year, their kids, your kids are in trouble, right? Because they're not doing anything to earn your love. That whole first year, it's like sleep, eat, poop, spit up, repeat, right? And you're just walking around like a zombie, like I'm not getting any sleep. Um, the whole, the, you know, I remember one time I was uh, playing with my son. I was holding him up. I'm laying on the floor. I got home from work, and, you know, we're having a good time, and I'm saying something to him, and he spits up, and it goes right in my mouth, Right? <laughs> It was a bad, bad deal. And you can call me a sissy, and it's a fact, but I could not change a dirty diaper, okay? I didn't make that up. That's a fact. Uh, you've seen videos, I'm sure, on Facebook. I would try. I would try, but I would get the dry heaving and gagging. I could not do it. So 
being the responsible husband that I am, I didn't want to leave my, my wife high and dry. So I got to where I put Vicks Vapor Rub under my nose and then wrap a bandana around my face so I could change these diapers. But here's the thing. If my love for them was based on performance, that first year, they're just hosed, right? But I didn't love them based on the performance. I didn't love them because they earned it. I loved them because they were mine. And the truth is, God doesn't love you because you're beautiful. You are beautiful to him. In all your mess, you're beautiful. He says you're a masterpiece, right? You are beautiful to him, but he doesn't love you because you're beautiful. He doesn't love you because you earned it. He doesn't love you based on, you, on your performance. He loves you because you're his, right? God loves his children, not based on, on their performance, but he just loves you with a love that's more powerful than anything, more, more powerful than other people's opinions of you, right? More powerful than your greatest sin, more powerful than the sin that keeps haunting you and coming back. Listen, God loves you even though you're wrestling with an addiction right now. God loves you. When you feel all that guilt and shame, that's not from God. God loves you even though you're battling with that right now. God loves you despite the fact that you had an abortion. God loves you despite the fact that you're divorced. Despite the fact that you can't break free from your past, God loves you. He loves, he loves you even though you turn your back on him and are running from him as far and as fast as you can. He loves you. And he, I could just keep filling in the blanks. God loves you because you're his child. Now, he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants you to grow into that love, but he loves you, and his love for you doesn't change. Romans 8.38 says this. It says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, the idea is that there's absolutely nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so God's love for us, it's unimaginable, it doesn't make sense, and it's unconditional. Third thing, it's constant, it's eternal, right? God's love for us is eternal. It means it never, ever, 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 ever ends. Psalm 100 says it this way. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people. There's the identity thing again. The sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love. And then what's that say? His love what? We've got we to do a little participation. His love does what? Endures forever. It doesn't endure for a little bit. His love for us endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God love, God's love for us endures forever. It's unending. It's eternal. That means that God's not inconsistent, that God's not unpredictable, that God's not moody, right? That God is always the same. If you're like me, some of us grew up with a dad who, who you never knew if your dad was going to be happy or, or, or sad or happy or angry. Right? Never knew if he was going to hug you or scream at you, if he was going to criticize you or build you up. Right? There was this instability that was created. And, and you know, let me just say this. Unstable parents create unstable children. Unstable parents create insecure children, but that's not God. Okay? God is never like that. God is always the same. His love for you is consistent and never, ever, ever changes. Again, God, you can't do anything to make God stop loving you. He always loved you. And it's not based on you, by the way. That's important for us to know. It's based on him. That's who God is. He loves you based on him. Last one, God's love is forgiving. As a child of God, his love for you means complete forgiveness. And you got to, you know, as a pastor, as a chaplain, uh, I see this all the time where we get into this, this idea that, that God could forgive these sins, but there's these sins that God can't forgive. You know, he can do all this, but there's this one thing that I'm holding on to. And he says, no, 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 I, when I said that, you know, I forgive you, it means everything. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, 
That means the debt's paid, right? That means everything is paid. That God loves you and he, his love is forgiving. See, we get stuck in this whole thing. The lie that we believe here is that God's bringing up our past and throwing it in our face, right? That God continues to dredge up our past and throw it in our face. And that's not God. That's the devil. I'm going to tell you that. Shame and guilt, that's, that's from the devil. That's what he does. He wants to steal your identity. So he whispers things in your, in your ear like, there's no way God could love you. You're despicable. All these things he's whispering. You're a horrible person. You should be ashamed of yourself. These are the things that he's whispering. But that's not God saying those things. Listen, how messed up would it be if I, as a father, right, if I say I love my kids, I do, I love my kids, but I took four or five of their messiest diapers from the first year of their lives and I stuck them in a Ziploc bag and I saved them. And like every three or four or five or six months, I'd bring them out and say, you remember when you did that? That was horrible. It was embarrassing. You should be ashamed of yourself. I love you. Have a great day. How loving would that be as a dad, right? Now, but we act like God does that to us, that he keeps dredging up our nastiest mistakes and saying that was so embarrassing. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's not God. God says it, it was finished. It's finished. The debt's paid. You are completely forgiven. Now, listen, church, here's the thing. If you could begin to grasp this at a heart level, all these, just these things, because we haven't scratched the surface, by the way, but just these things about God's love, if, if you could just begin to grasp this, what does it look like in your life when you begin to live this out? How does it change the way that you interact with people? How does it change the way that you see yourself, that you interact with yourself, if you could begin to live these things out? That, that his love for us is bigger than we can imagine, that it's unconditional, that his love is never going to end, that it's eternal, and that I am completely forgiven no matter what I do. What does that look like in your life? Does it change the way you see yourself? Does it change the way you see other people? Does it change the way that you love other people? See, I think it does. I think that if we could begin to live this out, I think the communities that we interact with, our, our spheres of influence, I think it radically changes those. When people see us demonstrating the love of, that's in us that comes from Christ, if we can live this out, but we can't give away something that we don't have. We can't give this away if we're not living it out on the everyday basis, right? And that's why I wanted to talk to you about this today, that, that you are loved by the king of the universe, the God who opened his mouth and spoke creation in the ba into being, the God who sent his son to pay the price for your sin, every sin that you would ever commit. He says, I love you, and I want you to understand that. I want you to walk in the goodness of that. And it's not because I, I love you because of who you are. Sometimes I love you in spite of who you are, but I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. When I think about that, I'm in awe of a God like that. That, that makes me want to worship. And, and David Mike was mentioned earlier. David Mike, we sat in a Bible study 10 years ago, and if there's ever an unlikely candidate to be standing up here today, it was me, right? David knew me, and I knew me. And I didn't want, I would rather have been getting a root canal than sitting in that Bible study. That's a fact. And, and God had different plans for me. And I was certain that I was too far gone. And, and this is a true story. I was sitting in my shower one day thinking, I think I'm so hard-hearted that, that I'm beyond hope. And Neil, I went and, and said, Neil, here's the deal. I don't even want a relationship with God. I want to want a relationship with God. And that was a scary place for me to be. And I left that. We prayed for, for me to want to want a relationship. And I walked out of there, and I didn't feel any different. But God was moving, and God was working. And God got a hold of me. And, and there were some things that had to be stripped. And it was a painful, painful process. But I wouldn't trade one second of it for, for what God's done in my life. And I could say he, he could do that for you. But it begins with you understanding that God does love you. 
My prayer for us today, church, is this, that we would either discover, if we've never discovered it, or that we would rediscover who we are in Jesus Christ, uh, who he says you are, that we could recognize these lies and begin saying, no, that's not true. That's not true about me. I, I know what's true about me because Jesus says, here's what's true about me that we would reclaim our identities in Christ, that through living out these, these identities, through living out who God says we are, we are, that we would begin to walk in this abundant life that he has in store for us. That's my prayer for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such a difficult thing for us to grasp because we, we've heard it for so long, and yet, God, we live in a culture that seems to combat it in every single way possible. So, God, I pray that whatever it is that we, we, get, we drug in here with us today, Whatever it is that's going on in our life, whatever it is that's causing us to doubt your love for us, whatever lie that we're believing to be true that's impacting us as if it were true, God, I pray that you would strip us of that. And God, for some, that's going to be a painful, painful process, but it's the healthiest thing that you could do for us, the most loving thing you could do for us. God, I pray that we, be, we could begin to walk in who you say we are, that we could live that out in the communities where you've placed us and that people will be drawn to you because it's not about us, that people will be, would be drawn to you through the process. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. It's for you, Jesus. It's by you, Jesus. Amen.